So for a while now, like years, um, we've been talking about this idea of a shift. This idea, if you've been in the house and part of the house, you'll know we've been talking about this shift of a new era and what that might mean and look like. And um, and really, it's already here. There's an opportunity to live in a whole new way than what most people have ever lived in and most Christians have ever lived in. Um, which is really exciting, but there is a transition to make. And I want to keep sharing about that transition. And one of the things I'm aware of is that lots of people, they're seeing the kind of world, they're seeing their own world, and they're seeing the wider world, and they're very aware um, that it seems to be becoming more and more less like the world Jesus would like it to be. Uh, which leaves them with a question, which is, well, what do I do? And I'm going to tell you what you can do this morning. I mean, I've been telling you for months, probably years, actually, but I'm going to tell you again, because uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. And I'm going to keep telling you till we get there. And, and, and the reason I'm going to keep telling you till we get there is because it's really, really key. Well, there's a few reasons, really. One, it's key for you. But also, when you've made this shift, <coughs> if you've not made the shift and you look at people who have made the shift, it's a little bit confusing. And... It's not always easy to journey, to keep journeying with them. And I want to keep journeying with you because I've already pretty much made the shift. So if you don't make the shift, uh, it's going to be more and more difficult to keep journeying together. Because I'm going to be living from a different place. And I want you to live in the place, I mean not my house because <laughs> I, I like that. But the place I want to... But the, the, the new place looks quite different and can be quite challenging. Um, and we're going to go, uh, my thing's not working, can you go me slides? Uh, we're going to go to this passage, which will be really familiar uh, if you've been with us for the last two or three years, because it, it keeps coming back to me. Uh, so it's a story about Jesus, who um, one day tells his disciples to get in a boat, and they're going to go across to the other side. And it says this, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I thought I'd taught the, this thing to its death, but it seems there's still more life in it, <laughs> which is exciting, isn't it? I'm like, Really, Lord, we're going to go there again? Uh, but that's neat because I love, I love how this 2,000-year-old book just keeps coming alive. That's what I find wonderful about the Bible. It just keeps coming alive, uh, which is fantastic. So, and as I was uh, just pondering these, these words, I, I was pondering what Jesus meant when he asked the question at the end, do you still have no faith? Um, it, it seems to me that there's an expectation from Jesus that they could have been in a different place. But it's only Mark chapter 4. I mean, it's not like he's been with them three years. It's pretty early on in their journey. But it seems to me that Jesus is going, okay, but no. And, and I thought, maybe it's just this translation. <coughs> I really have some too much, haven't I? It's going to be quiet tonight. I love you'll enjoy that. Um, <laughs> do you do a little cheer then? <laughs> um, it, <laughs> it seems that um, Jesus is like going, okay. So I thought, maybe it's this translation. In, in, nil, in all nine translations, pretty much, that word still is in there. In other words, 
come on, we should be somewhere different by now. And I've started talking about this a little bit because I think we have made Jesus into a little bit of a Disney hero, a bit of a Disney prince that comes along and makes it all all right. But Jesus is not a Disney prince or a Disney hero. He's actually somebody who is more like a coach who is going to push you till you throw up every day. There we go. He's also a beautiful father. He's also a caring friend. But he is also a coach who is going to go, no, you're going to run this point one second of a quicker until you throw up. Why? Because he wants you to win. That's what coaches are there for. But we don't like that side of Jesus. We'd much rather him just be the one who sits on his knee and loves us and he's our friend. But there is part of him that's going, no, no, come on, come on, come on. In fact, the message says, why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? There is a part of him that's a bit like, come on, we can go quicker, we can go faster. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get it on, get that key on, come on. Because we don't like that part of him. But that is who he is. And he's like that because he wants you again to everything that he's got for you. He wants you again to everything. He wants you to experience this Zoe life that he's got for you, this fullness of life. He loves you enough to be like that. My main question, though, here is what he means when he asks about faith. Because what is he actually asking him? I've always thought he's basically going, well, you could have spoke to the wind and the waves. But I'm not sure he's asking that question at all. Or maybe he isn't. Because perhaps the issue of faith wasn't just about their ability to speak to the storm. It was also about their ability, or lack of ability, to lay their heads on the pillow with him in the middle of the storm. Maybe he was showing them what you meant to do in the middle of the storm. And maybe you didn't want waking up. And maybe in being woken up was his grace to them to go, okay, I see we're not quite there yet. We'll have to do it this way then. Maybe that's what's going on in the story. I'm not sure he wanted them to wake him up. I wonder whether what he really wanted was for them to lay down with him and trust that even in the storm, they were safe. But they're going, no, no, you've got to stop the storm, stop the storm, stop the storm. It's really scary. And he's going, but if you just lie down and rest, it'll probably stop all by itself. And as I walked and, and pondered on this this week, I felt, I felt him certainly there are many people right now trying to arouse him. They're in what felt like a storm, and they're trying to wake him up so that he would speak to it and calm it down. There's lots of praying and fasting and worshiping, all trying to wake Jesus up from his slumbers so that he'd sort out the storm. And many people have echoed the words of the disciples, teacher, don't you care if we drown? It obviously seemed to him that he didn't care, but he cared very much. He was just living in a different place. He was just living in a totally different place. And I'm sure there are quite a few people who've been trying to wake Jesus up from his slumbers because they think he's, he's asleep so he can speak to the storm they're in and then it'll all calm down and then they'll feel like they can take a breath again. Here's the thing, that's all gone. That was how life used to be, but life can be very different to that. Think, think about it, okay? And this is the rest of the message, all right? Just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it will work in the future. And equally, just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it's the right thing for us to do today. And there's biblical precedent for it. Okay, so Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites are in the desert and there's no water. And God says to Moses, right, strike this rock, water will flow out of it. So he hits the rock, water flows, they all get fed, well, they don't get fed, they get watered. Okay. 
Jump forward to Numbers in chapter 20. Same situation, but not quite, because they're just on the edge of a future, of a whole brand new future, going into what's called the promised land, which is their promise of a whole new future for them. So they're on the edge of a new future, and it's the same situation. And God says to Moses, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. But Moses doesn't listen, and instead he goes, well, it worked last time, so I'll do it again. So he strikes the rock, and sure enough, water comes out. But Moses does not get into his future. Because if you read the story, it says you now will not get into the promised land. So you see, you can keep doing what you've always done, and it might still work, but it doesn't mean you'll get into your future. Because maybe God says something different now. And maybe there's a way again in your future that will work, and maybe there's a way that you can keep doing it, and it may well work, but out of his grace, it might work. You see, what, when Moses, instead of speaking to it, struck it, what was that? And still water came out. That's called the grace of God flowing despite disobedience. And that'll keep going all the time, but he doesn't get into his future. He doesn't get into the future that's available to him. And I am utterly convinced that if we don't make the transition to living from a different place then life will be incredibly challenging in the coming months and years. But it doesn't need to be. Life can be much more enjoyable if we learn to embrace what God is doing. And, and it, we're in this moment like Moses. Okay, this is what you do. And I'm going to explain what I mean as I go through. This is what I do. Strike it. Now speak to it. We're in that moment of living a different way. And water will flow and water will come. But you'll also get into a whole new future. That's exciting, isn't it? And it's wonderful because I feel like I'm already living there. And it's ace. And I want you to come be with me. So what am I talking about? Can you put that next slide up? Okay, so old era, waking Jesus in the boat, waking him up. Okay, chasing, working, making things happen, trying. Okay, that's how many people, including me, lived my Christian life for many years. And there was nothing wrong in that. There was nothing wrong in it. But maybe there's something new now. So there was nothing wrong in it at all. Okay, you can put that, put that down there. So, the, so there's nothing wrong in that way, but Jesus is calling into a whole other dimension because all day we're spending a lot of time trying to get Jesus to wake up and deal with the storm. We spent a lot of time praying and declaring and fasting and reading all fantastic things. Our prayer meetings will be filled with noise, with declarations of who he was and what he's done, speaking and declaring, and that taught us something. It taught us how to break through. It taught us how to persevere. It taught us to deal with tiredness. It taught us to deal with being together. It taught us discipline. It taught us all sorts of fantastic things. So it's all been good. It wasn't bad, and it still isn't bad, and it may still produce some fruit. Rousing Jesus from his slumber in the midst of the storm has worked for us for many years. And we've seen incredible things as a house, incredible miracles as a house by doing that. And we? many of you can testify of what God has done through living that way, working hard, reading, praying, declaring, doing all that stuff, trying to wake God up so that he'd do something. But how many people feel tired? How many are you tired of that? Jesus is leading us to a new place. The old may waste the work if you want to persevere with it, but it's not what God's asking, and it's not the best way to see the breakthroughs, because this... This is, is where we're, this is where we're going. Can you put the next one up there? Resting with Jesus. Following, receiving, resting, 
enjoy you. Tell me which one you'd rather have. Tell me which one you'd rather do. But here's the thing. The shift is really, really difficult. It's really difficult. <laughs> to go back to the story of Jesus in the boat, you can put that down, mate, otherwise the, the people online don't get to see my stunningly handsome body. And that's why they tune in. <laughs> don't like how you all laugh then. To go back to the story of Jesus in the boat, the answer is not to wake him up with all your prayers, worship and fasting. It's learn to put your head on the pillow with him. Stop waking him up and lie down next to him. That's the whole thing of what I believe God's doing right now. And, and listen, because you see, don't you? No, it won't go there just yet. I felt him say really clearly to me that although using old era tools will still get the job done, it's not the way he wants the job done. It'll still work. Of course it'll still work. But it's not the way he really wants to get the job done. Some of the storms we're currently seeing will only calm down, and I mean that in things we're aware of in our family, challenging situations in our church family, in your families, when there is an agreement in rest between us. We know there's great power in agreement. That's what we've learned over the number of years, that when we agree together, not in words, but in heart, when there's heart agreement, that's what Jesus meant when he said where two or three come together, he meant an agreement of heart, not saying the same thing whilst, in the, whilst inwardly thinking, well, you're an idiot thinking that. That's not agreement. Okay. Agreement of heart, togetherness. But now there's got to be an agreement of rest. And when we have an agreement of rest, in more and more of us, we'll see bigger and bigger storms calm down all around us. In fact, I am convinced that we are yet to see the biggest things we're going to see because it's going to come from an agreement of rest. And when we get an agreement of rest, when, when enough of us manage to be in that place of rest and operate out of that place of rest, then you'll see things you've never seen before. But nobody will be standing there going, shimmy shanda batula, and people will fall over. We'll just be sat together in rest, and God will do some things. And then no man of God's going to get any of the glory because it'll just be a group of people resting together. And then he really will get the glory. And the whole celebrity thing will just crumble away and praise God for that. Eh? Just think if there could be a people who could agree together at rest. And everybody knows we just agree together in rest. Who did it? Well, we just rested together. Jesus did it. That'll be a beautiful thing, won't it? But what Jesus is after right now are people who are willing to lay their heads on the pillow next to him. You see, a lot of the time, Jesus is here. I mean, he actually is here. I know whether you, I mean, he's everywhere, but he's also here. But a lot of time, we're like, hey, come on, wake up, Jesus. That's a lot of our praying's like, a lot of our worshiping, a lot of our reading. It's so we can slap him out face to wake him up. I know you don't slap him out face, but you know what I mean. But in truth, he's going, no, 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 just come and sit with me. Just come and enjoy being with me. Just come and come. Ooh, he's moved to the pastor's lounge. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously wants a bit of time out. <laughs> Put the next one up, mate. Next slide. See. One of the main reasons that that's not easy to do is we all want to do something. 
We all want to do something. We want to make a difference. We want to make it happen. We want to make a change. We want to know who's going to do something about this situation. But you realize, so you see, that's what drives people who go on strike. It's what drives people who glue themselves to roads. It's what drives people. They want to do something. Okay, yeah, but if you're going to do anything in the kingdom of God, it has to come in the opposite spirit. It's got to come in the opposite spirit. I would go so far as to say the number one priority for every follower of Jesus right now is to learn to rest with him. That's the number one thing to do. If you want to have a fantastic time in the next few years, you've got to learn how to do that because otherwise it will be challenging. If you want to thrive and not just survive, it's absolutely vital. You put time and effort into learning what it means to be with him, to sit, to be quiet, to be still, to receive, to enjoy just being with him which is incredibly challenging for many people because it seems very strange. But we must come and see that the most powerful weapon you have right now in the battle for the kingdom is the weapon of rest. That's the most challenging weapon you have, the, the most powerful weapon you have. We don't like it, we don't find it easy. We also don't find it easy because when you stop being about doing something, People think you don't care. So if you've got a problem, if you think about it, you actually want somebody to go, come on, I'm going to sort this problem out. You don't want somebody to sit in the chair, do you? Well, you're, what are you doing? Well, I'm just resting. Well, how's that going to help me out? Do something. But this is built into our psyche. We've equated doing something with helping. And of course, doing something can be helpful. But actually, maybe we've got to learn that resting is the most powerful form of doing. It can be the most powerful form of doing. But it's deeply, deeply challenging. You see, we, we're conditioned to see that someone fighting for us is someone who loves us. But how did Jesus fight? Jesus didn't get a big army together. He, gave it, he just went, okay. Did he shout and scream? Well, apparently it says he was silent. And of course, everybody went, well, what's he doing? Uh, showing the way. Being an example. Showing you how you win. He fought by resting in the love of the Father. And in the belief that as he gave up his life, Father would bring it back. Because we find resting really tough because we have to get out of the way and stop thinking we're the answer. Okay, well, that's a bit, bit of a knife to your ego, isn't it? Yeah? Guess what? You are not the answer to the world's problems. You're not even the answer to the person next to you's problems, which can be relieving and also painful. One of the most challenging a few years ago, I started taking a Sabbath where I'd, I'd take a day off and I'd turn my phone off. One of the most challenging things of that point was realizing that the world still worked without me. The world still worked without me. The business was still alive. The church was still here. The family was still there. Everything had not fallen down around me. That was a bit of a kick to my ego. I realized I wasn't actually all that special. I wasn't even all that needed. 
Okay, but then, see, when you've dealt with that, oh, then you can rest. Then you can rest. Most of this fight is about our own egos and our own sense of worth and value and who we are. Well, if people don't need me, what, what, who am I? Who am I if I can't fix everybody's problems? Well, stop fixing problems and you might find out because you'll have to find it somewhere else. Maybe in the sense that you're a child of the father. You're a son and a daughter to the king. And maybe you can start to learn to rest in that. This is why it's so hard, you see, because it deals with these deep things of our ego, deep questions of our identity. And the other reason we don't like Saturdays and being quiet is because we're terrified of the silence. I realized a lot of people like worship music because it drowns out the voice of their own soul. They love singing because they don't want to listen to their own heart. So the idea of being quiet means now I've got to listen to the voices in my head. Well, that's terrifying. Because there's a lot of them. Yeah, well, there is. But how else are you going to deal with them if you don't listen to them? This is why it's so challenging. Okay. Let me finish. Let me finish with the story of Zacchaeus. I shared this about five or six months ago, but I'm going to share it again. Just put uh, Luke 19 up, mate. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people, so he ran on ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. So this is the story of uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, basically a Roman sympathizer, um, a Roman collaborator, in the same way that you would get Nazi collaborators in occupied France. This is So he wasn't really very well liked, is what you can infer from that. He also was a tax man, so doubly not liked. Um, and he was collecting taxes for the Romans on behalf of the Jews, even though he was a Jew, so triply not liked. Um, but anyway, Zacchaeus is eager to see Jesus, so he uses a tree to get up and out. But, but it's interesting, it says this, so he could get a glimpse of Jesus. A glimpse. Just wanted a glimpse. And I think all those old era things, which are really good, reading your Bible, praying, and please, I'm not saying you don't do that, okay? Because they're fantastic. But at the end of the day, I can read a book about him or I can be with him. Now, the book tells me about him, so I know who I'm going to be with, so it's important. But maybe I can be with him as well as just read about him. I mean, I've got books about, you know, cricket players, but I'd, I'd really rather go to the pub and have a pint with them because that would be more interesting than just reading a book about them. Well, you can go to the pub and have a drink with Jesus. I don't know why he drinks. I wouldn't, well, the wine, obviously, because he makes a lot of it. So, you know, I'm sure he'd choose a nice bottle of red from the wine list, but there we go. What am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> started thinking about nice red wine and went off on a tangent. Anyways. So he goes up this tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And I guess the tree is like, you can see it as a, and I'm just trying to use lots of metaphors to try and help you get it. He kind of climbs up this tree, which is, which is what we've done. We've, we've read the Bible and we've prayed and we've fasted and we've used silence and Sabbath and solitude and slowing and all these disciplines that are all fantastically good. And if you've not learned them or got into them, you should because they're brilliant. But they only get you a glimpse of him. They're not the real deal. They just give you a glimpse of him. And we, must, we mustn't, make the mistake that thinking a glimpse of him is actually the same because it goes on in verse 5 to 6 when Jesus got to that place he looked up Zacchaeus hurry on down I'm appointed to stay house so he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus he had to get down from the tree to be face to face with Jesus 
getting up the tree got him a glimpse. And if you want a glimpse, read, proclaim, worship, all that good stuff. And again, it is good stuff. But if you want the fullness of it, you have to add something else on top of that, which is learning to be with him. Just you and him together. At some point, you have to get down from the tree, and the tree helped you spot him, but you've got to get down from the tree and enjoy face-to-face time with him. You'll need to stop trying to wake him up and lay down next to him. Verse 7 says this, As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, Look at this. Of all the people who have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. What that tells me is it's not about your past. Are other people's opinions of you or your past? It's about your desire and willingness to be with him. That's all it's about. Your desire and willingness to be with him. He was hated by everybody. And remember, he's going to walk through these crowds of people that hate him with Jesus just so he can have some face-to-face time. And here is the issue. Like I said last week, the issue is not whether you want to live. The issue is what price do you want to pay to live? That's the question. And whatever price you decide is fine, but just know that you made a choice. It's fine, whatever you choose. But you are choosing, and don't tell me you don't have a choice, because you do. You can choose. And you can say, well, I've got this and I've got that. Okay, they're all choices that you've chosen. Aren't they? They're all choices. I mean, you can emigrate to Australia tomorrow if you really wanted to. You can do whatever you want. You are free to choose. You just don't think you are, because you're locked into a mindset that says, I have no choice. No, you have a choice to do whatever the heck you want. Of course, some may lead to life, some may not, but they're all choices. But just imagine, as Zacchaeus leads Jesus to his house, he can hear all the muttering in the background, all the complaints, and the increase in hatred towards him that was already at a high level. But for Zacchaeus, it's worth it because he's going to have face-to-face time with Jesus. What's it worth for you to have face-to-face time with Jesus? What's it worth? It was a cost Zacchaeus was prepared to pay to have that time with him. It cost Zacchaeus a lot to get up the tree. It cost him even more to get down. And then it cost him even more to go on a walk to get him to his house. But the prize, the prize was face to face with Jesus in his house. And there is no greater prize than that. There just is not. So, just put that last one up, mate. The number one priority for every follower of Jesus right now is to learn to rest in him. I said that exact line six months ago. I don't want to be saying it in six months' time. And I definitely won't be saying it in a year's time. But I am praying and believing that more and more of us start to catch it and understand the incredible life that is possible in Jesus and the incredible life that is possible in this era that we're now living in that just means we can see things we've not seen before and be more excited than we've never been before. I love living now more than I've ever lived loving. No. Well, that's well. But anyways, that works, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, but I do. Because I know, I know him more, and I see him face to face more. And I'm like, well, that's just amazing. And I love it. But it's not just for me. It's, it, it, 
I'm just going to try and model it and show it and share it and encourage it and tell you about it and hopefully whet your appetite to go, oh yeah, that'd be good. So finally, of course, lots of people come, okay Adam, but how? That's the next question, isn't it? Well, how, how do I do it? Well, of course, we have already been over this last, uh, probably a year now, I don't know, like having some time set aside for you to do it and we're going to do some more of that. We're going to refresh that whole thing. We called it sitting with Jesus. We're going to refresh it all and, and do something different again and give you opportunity to just on a regular basis come and learn some actual tools and ways to just be with him. And then we're going to send you away with some homework and we're going to come back and we're going to ask you how you did. And we're going to come back again and go, hey, how was it? How did that work? Tell us about it. Let's share. Let's encourage. Let's say, because honestly, there is such an incredible time ahead for people that manage to do it. And I don't want you to miss out. I don't want anybody to miss out. But you will have to answer the question, what price are you prepared to pay? Amen? Okay. This is what we're going to do. No idea what time it is. I don't really care either. Um, fair enough. Will you just come? Just come up here a minute. You see, I, I believe passionately that Jesus lives on the inside of you. I believe he thought of you before the foundation of the world. I believe he knows everything about you. And I believe his greatest desire is to walk with you and be with you. It's his greatest desire to be in relationship. That's what the Bible teaches me. That his greatest desire is to be in deep communion with you. That's his greatest desire. And so these guys are just going to play. And we're just going to spend a few moments... And we're just going to sit together. And I know some of you find it challenging. That's all right. So did I. But when you practice it somewhere, you get better at it, don't you? And as we're sitting, I just want you to think and ponder. I've found these days that using my imagination to meet him has been hugely powerful. Just really powerful. Because I, I, I trust him to lead me. I'm not worried that I'm going to go somewhere he doesn't want me to go because he loves me enough to take me somewhere he wants to take me. But if this is helpful, you could see yourself. You could see you're with the disciples and he invites you to get in the boat and you go great yeah yeah you've had a good time you're going to go in the boat a few of your mates are fishermen so they know what they're doing and you get in this boat it's a beautiful day sun's shining you've had a fantastic day you're with people that you just love you're with Jesus man I mean and you're one of his disciples so it's like you really have won the lottery and that's then you push off and you're just chatting away with your friends it's all nice but then it starts to get a bit breezy 
And all of a sudden, you're in this boat with Jesus. As it starts to get breezy, you look around and you realize Jesus is asleep. Nobody else is asleep, but Jesus is. The swirl of the wind gets bigger. The waves get higher. And the rain gets heavier. And you have a decision to make. It seems everybody around you is panicking. But Jesus is asleep with his head on a cushion. What are you going to do? Are you going to join in the panic? Or are you going to dare in the middle of the storm to copy what Jesus is doing and lie down next to him? else in the boat is laid down. There's still a few people who are panicking, but slowly more and more people decide to do what Jesus is doing. Until eventually the whole boat is now laid with their heads on a pillow. It's at that moment, once everybody in the boat has laid their head on the pillow, it's at that moment that the wind dies down and the waves calm and the rain stops and the sun comes in. no need to panic there was just a need to follow Jesus' lead and learn to rest It's my prayer, Father, that 
that would be the posture of our hearts more and more. That we would learn what it means to trust that there really is a heavenly Father and in whose everlasting arms are underneath and that that Father will never let us fall. That we would understand that we really can have no reservations and no walls and give him our heart and the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly because that's what you do, Lord. And more than anything, I pray for the peace of God that goes beyond our understanding would guide our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. things that's really important <clears throat> is not to get hung up with how everybody else interacts with Jesus and start comparing he knows you and he loves you better than you know yourself and another aspect of faith is trusting that he meets you how you need to be met just being a